Roundtable. Brought to you by the Simple Investor, making the world of real estate investment simple. The Free For All Roundtable, round one. On round one today, as we mix it up over the day's big stories, Christy Blatchford from the National Post, Jerry Agar from the Jerry Agar Show. Dave Trafford is with the Canadian Council for Public-Private Partnerships. And MPP Yvonne Baker is here, Liberal MPP at Queen's Park. Good morning, everybody. Morning. And uh, Dave Trafford, uh, new grandpa. Is that the first time? You bet. How exciting is that? Uh, a little bit beyond exciting. I mean, we can spend the next 10 minutes talking about Piper if you like. I, yeah, but we got to get some other stuff. <laughs> okay. You feel old? <laughs> no, actually, I'm invigorated. Because I've wondered about that. People say you're too old to be a grandparent. I think you can't, uh, or sorry, you're too young to be one. Yeah. Young enough to enjoy it. I mean, okay. I think that's, that's the beauty of it. It's kind of fun. Uh, families are coming to terms with the fact that it appears eight people were murdered by their own nurse. None of this has been proven in court, obviously, and she's entitled to the presumption of innocence. But it's just what a brutal, brutal story. Um, Jerry. Yeah. Um, uh, there's also the instant reaction, and I know you guys have been talking about it this morning. Well, what are we going to do? And yesterday, I, to be honest, while I'm normally tearing into the Liberal government, I wish that the opposition governments did not decide to jump on this tragedy and make political hay yeah. out of it by haranguing the uh, premiers, though there was something she could do about it. Like, that's the part that bothers me right now beyond the human tragedy. Well, let's listen in then on the House uh, yesterday during question period, and I'm with you. We actually spoke to this MPP in the last half hour, and I said, well, what's your idea? She said, well, now is not the time for ideas, but apparently it's the time for <laughs> questions. My question is to the Premier. This hour, we have just learned about a horrific multiple murder investigation in Woodstock and London. Police have revealed at least eight elderly residents of long-term care homes were murdered between the years 2007 to 2014. Our hearts go out to the families and loved ones of these victims. But there is a genuine question that people are asking this morning. How do murders go undetected for nearly 10 years inside any long-term care home in Ontario? tragic, tragic thing for uh, all of the families involved, Mr. Speaker. I don't think there's anyone in this legislature who would not agree that this is a tragic, tragic circumstance. I know that uh, the member opposite knows that it would be inappropriate for me to comment on an ongoing police investigation. My question is straightforward. How do eight murders happen in long-term care homes without the ministry noticing? Uh, Christy Blatchford, I, I realize it's up to the opposition to hang everything on the government, but I don't think the government had a hand in murdering eight people. No, of course the government didn't. Uh, you know, it's, frankly, it takes a village sometimes to kill an old person, and we're all complicit many times. Not in this particular case, I'm not saying that, but... Uh, Anyway, I, I think those were the dopiest questions imaginable, unless the member who was asking them is under the age of 12 um, and, and has no experience of care homes for old people. And it, all of us know the reason nobody batted an eyelash is that these were people who were in their 80s and 90s for the most part, where death is not unexpected. They were ill, some of them. Uh, as well as being old. So you you can't blame anybody for not detecting it here. 
Yeah, Dave Trafford, it seems these days that the uh, first stage is you report on something, and then you move quickly to how could this possibly have happened, how can we stop it? And I'm sure by tomorrow we'll have a report on how to talk to your children about the senior citizen home murders. I heard a number yesterday suggesting there were something like 17,000 people who die in, in these kinds of facilities every year in Ontario. So seven- I'm sorry, Dave, we need a trigger warning. <laughs> Yeah, this is me being silly. Uh, so at, at this stage, when we have seven over, what was it, eight years, or eight over seven years, it, it you know, again, it's not to diminish what's happened, but it's a really small number. So it's easy to see how this could have just happened without people really noticing, giving the volume. The other side of this, though, is it's about the use of drugs and so on and everything. And I think that's what the real question is going to be once we really get down to this, is how are the drugs managed in facilities like this? How are they administered? Who is actually taking account and care of, of these? And, it, and it's sort of a related story to what's going on in the city of Toronto. Not to get off on that we'll story get that, yet, yeah. but, but, but still... I think there's a real issue around the management and the warehousing of our elderly in Ontario. Not that this is necessarily that, but it's only that's this is only the point of that spear. I think we're going to have to get into that larger discussion sooner than later. Yvonne Baker, you sit on the government benches. Is there something for government here? Well, yeah. Well, the first thing I would say is I agree with what the others have said about the question. I don't think it's appropriate to be making political hay of this. Um, our, our thoughts should be with the families. Um, you know, my grandfather um, was uh, was in a long-term care residence and. And, um, and I know, um, I can only imagine what the families are going through. I think the other thing I would say is, is um, you know, the police are investigating this, and I think we should allow the police to do their work. Uh, once they've done their work, then we'll be in a position to learn, learn from that. But I, I do think that it's important to note that the police have said that there's, to the residents of, the, of, those, of those residences, that, um, that there is no, no threat to safety, and I think that's yeah. really important for, for people to know. Um, I talked to Dr. Mitch yesterday and asked him how easy would this be to do, and he said very easy because uh, for two reasons. One, the obvious, as we've discussed, in that when people die at an elderly age in a nursing care home, it doesn't raise an alarm bell. But, but it's easy to do because you don't have to use, he said, any kind of really uh, tightly controlled drug. Yeah. Uh, this can be done can with sodium. Insulin. Yeah, oh, sorry, yeah. yeah. So, so what are you going to do now? Lock down the aspirin at the at the care home? I don't think so. Let's move on to this business at City Hall. Seems that uh, they've been working hard. Uh, dozens of workers claiming more than the maximum annual dosage of pills like Vi- Viagra and Cialis. Uh, I, I'm, the thing I've been <laughs> hearing most, uh, Dave Trafford, this morning is how come they have a drug program that covers Cialis and Viagra? I don't even have that. But what's I mean, is this fraud? Should they be? Should they be investigated? Well, sure. I think the uh, Cialis and Viagra story is, is sort of the red herring in this because the story, that, the part of the story that alarms me is the opioid side of this. And, you know, you hear uh, uh, Siobhan reporting on that. That's a significant issue. I mean, we're talking about fraud. We're obviously talking about, uh, uh, you know, trafficking these opioids. And, and it, you don't have to go very far. And again, we're, we're relating the story back to... Uh, Woodstock. You know, this is a serious cultural problem, uh, societal problem in in small communities right across the province. And that's what's really alarming about this. And that it took the auditor to figure this out, I think, is what's even more alarming. I mean, I'm I'm grateful now that we've got the accountability officers in place to do this. But it's always after the fact that we find these things out. Yeah. Jerry, we're cutting people off because they're going to come up with caps on the number of pills they can get their hands on annually. But would you call for an investigation and, and heads to roll? 
Well, uh, as Councillor Holliday said, you know, this is taxpayer money and you have to watch where it's being spent and is it being spent appropriately. I'm, I'm with Dave that the opioid thing is something that probably should be of more concern, but already people driving and listening to us are writing their own punchlines too. The, the, the city hall is purchasing large amounts of erectile dysfunction drugs. I mean, that just almost sets itself up for... But here's the problem. We've got, we've got programs right across the province that are run privately. We don't know. We don't have an auditor going into what's going on in Bell Media or any other big company to see whether or not, in fact, there's this kind of misuse and fraud going on. Yeah. Well, if you're so, going to do a talk show, you've got to be ready to go, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> but, Christy, that's what I'm hearing from people via text, that there's all sorts of people out there. For example, you go through surgery, and they give you a prescription for pain, and you decide to wean yourself off of it, and then you can sell the extra pills. Yeah, I think it, I don't know, I don't know how much uh, investigation we, we should do into uh, privately funded plans. I mean, I think it's a real issue, but it's a particular issue when the when it's you and I and everyone else who is paying for it, as we are in the, the case of the city of Toronto. And it's particularly concerning. People all over Canada are dying from fentanyl overdoses. And it appears that there is virtually no control, either from the drug plan or from City Hall, as to the amount of fentanyl that is being prescribed to people. Sometimes it appears, at least, that it's way more than one person could use. So I think there may be selling or trafficking. And if people are trafficking in what is a lethal drug whether oxy or fentanyl, it's yeah. a serious issue. Well, right. It's not falling asleep behind the wheel of a bus at a parking, you know, when it's parked. That's right. Uh, I mean, way more than people can use is, uh, as Chrissy said, I think is almost an understatement. I mean, there was one person who booked 600 tablets in one year of Cialis. Um, you know, Although the, apparently there's a daily dose. Yeah. So It was so, a memorable right, year. Right. Right. So so all this, I think there's two issues, though. One is is the use of taxpayer money, and clearly people are buying more than they need and using it or selling it or whatever, and that's an issue because taxpayer dollars are being misused. But secondly... Um, the fact that the opioids are being prescribed in such large quantities, and these people work at City Hall, uh, that's a concern to me, too. Right? Well, maybe we, it's not surprising we, if you think about it. Well. Uh, Uber ran an experiment where they had a truck loaded with Budweiser driving without a driver. It was a self-driving beer run. I guess what stands out for me, because people have been prattling on about self-driving cars for the last couple of years, they're predicting that the driverless technology will actually be commonplace by 2020. Uh, Christy, I didn't think it was going to happen during my lifetime, and now apparently 4.4 million Americans who drive for a living could find themselves out of work within four years. Yeah, and yet it's ironic because they've given the the truck, the driverless truck, a name. They call a model. And it just strikes me as ironic that even as we dehumanize our world further, we attempt to humanize the the you know, the robots or the computers which are taking our place. Uh, and in this instance, there is a driver who is with uh, the truck and who can take over, I guess, should anything go wrong. But I, I fear for, I fear for all of us, frankly. I have way more faith in human beings than I do in technology. The modern car is a good example. You know, you sometimes can't make the easiest fixes or open your doors if something goes wrong with the computer and the car. 
Uh, Dave, when I look at this, I think, okay, if we create a world without people driving trucks to deliver beer, there's not going to be anybody left to actually buy and drink the beer. Well, uh, yeah, I, I suppose so. I, I think this is just a sign of the changing economy. We're re recalibrating everything that we're doing, and we have to be aware of that. What goes with this is the need to have a smart city. You have to have that truck actually integrated with the road. It actually has to be integrated with the lights. It actually has to be integrated with other vehicles. There's going to be all kinds of opportunity for new jobs and so on. Whether or not this truck driver is able to, to actually take advantage of that, that's one thing. But this is just a sign of the new economy. We are behind the curve here. Cities have to turn smart. We're, we're really late coming to this party. I agree. People are always alarmed by new technology, and it's going to take all our jobs away. And yet there are any number of jobs that exist today that uh, our parents couldn't have imagined. And as far as uh, me wanting to rely on the human being to jump in there and save things, I'm much more comfortable driving around amongst machines than some of the people I had to deal with just on the way to work today. It's 8 o'clock. Thank you, everybody.